Yeah, we can, we can clap, we can say yay God for that moment on the cross that changed forever history for you and I, for the rest of the world. That's awesome. Well, you can have a seat if you're here in the room. If you're at home, cozy up with a blanket on your couch like my family is doing right now. And we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Heartland. My name is Shibu Matthew. I'm pastor of Family Movements here at the church and just really excited to welcome you. And we have some fun news today via video update for you to hear in just a moment. But before, before we get to that, I want to bring you a reminder of, of soul care. This is something that we're doing weekly during the next six or seven weeks. It's, it's a moment in the church calendar called Lent. It just means the approach to the cross. It's this moment of like walking with Jesus to this day, Good Friday, to this day, Easter Sunday, where we see Jesus getting heavier and heavier, carrying the sins of the world as he approaches this day. And so we just join Jesus in that journey. And we want to do some care for our souls. And Tom Bronner leads us in that time on Wednesdays at noon. Just head to our Facebook page and you'll see the video pop up there. Uh, we're starting a new series today called The Last Words of Jesus. These seven sayings that happened. And Seth Davidson is going to be teaching to kick off that series today. But first, some, some exciting news via video. Uh, Tom Bronner and Steve Fisher have a, an announcement about a new hire, a new addition to our church staff team. So I want you to see that on the screens. Take a look. And afterwards, you can clap. There's another video after that. But just clap and say, yay, God, for the news that you're about to, to receive. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you soon. Hey Heartland, Tom and I are here to share some exciting news with you guys. As you know, we have been in the process of trying to fill a couple key positions on our staff. One of those is leadership and teaching pastor. The second one is our communities and discipleship pastor. And uh, because of the rolling blackouts, we've had a hard time getting the update out. But we're good now. And Tom, you can take it away. Uh, well, a little over a week ago, um, it's, it's fun to announce uh, to <clears throat> our community that we extended an offer for the communities and discipleship pastor to uh, Brad Herndon, who currently lives in Minnesota with his wife, Allison, and their four kids, and they've been serving at a church uh, up there for the last uh, four years or so. And we couldn't be more excited uh, to have their family join us here at Heartland. Uh, he's gonna be just the perfect addition. Uh, what I love about him is his uh, passion for relationships, for communities, for building communities, and uh, just his personal conviction, the importance of discipleship. So we're really uh, looking forward to the continued unfolding uh, of what God is doing around here, and we couldn't be more excited. So what we want to say is on behalf of our search team, our management team, and our staff, that we are truly excited for Brad and Allison, their family, to join us, and very excited to see where God takes us with their addition towards Heartland's very best future. So Heartland, just to, to keep you further in the loop, Brad will be joining our staff officially on April 1st, but between now and then, he will be back in KC on March 7th, Sunday, March 7th, to actually speak and teach for us. So we're very excited for you guys to get to know him. 
So as we anticipate uh, the next leg of this journey, as we continue to uh, experience and follow the unfolding of God in this whole thing, we want to ask you to please uh, keep praying uh, for our community. Keep praying for our search team because their work isn't done. Uh, we have one other critical position that we're needing to fill, the leadership and teaching pastor. And we're eagerly and aggressively uh, pursuing uh, that as well. <clears throat> so pray for us. Um, continue to think the very best about Heartland and its future and stay near to the heart of God yourself. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Heartland. isn't it? It's great news. God has been so good and so faithful to us. Well, one of my hopes before I die is to have famous last words I'll be remembered by. I mean, I want to be, I want to go out like William Wallace who said, they can take my life, but they can never take my freedom. I mean, I know that's Hollywood, but that's just too good, isn't it? Maybe I could be like Nathaniel Hale uh, in the Revolutionary War, the hero who, facing a British firing squad, said, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Now, don't leave here thinking I have a death wish. My favorite last word is probably from Charlie Chaplin, you know, the humorist, kind of black and white, you know, never spoke, but uh, it's attributed that it, on his deathbed, when the priest came to read his last rites, saying, may God have mercy on his soul, he quipped, well, why shouldn't he? It belongs to him anyway, right? So good. Well, one of my hopes before I die is to have famous last words I'll be remembered by. What Shibu mentioned, Jesus on the cross in the four gospels has seven sayings sort of his last words spoken thousands of years ago, but are so hope-filled that speak to situations you and I are in today. And so starting today through Easter, we're going to explore those last words of Jesus because we believe they will give us timely words of lasting hope for everyone. Do you find yourself struggling with hope right now? Do you find yourself in some sort of hopeless situation? If that resonates with you, I want you to name what that is just in the silence of your own mind. What is eroding your hope? And what is that hopelessness? What's causing that? Because I believe that Jesus' last words from those seven sayings of which we'll just scratch the surface today, Jesus will speak words to you and I Words like, you're not alone. Things will get better. You have a bright future. Your life is not confined to your present circumstances. Your life wasn't determined by your worst moment. You can have a fresh start today. You see, Jesus' last words inspire lasting hope for everyone. And I do believe, and I mean everyone, Every single one of us. 
And so our first passage that we'll look at, the first saying of Jesus, speaks to an individual or individuals who if there was anyone in a hopeless situation, it would be these individuals. Let's take a look in Luke chapter 23 in his account of the crucifixion. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I assure you, Yes, even you. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' last words inspire lasting hope for everyone, and that includes you and me. And so I just want to take these 10 or 11 words and speak what I believe truths of God into our time and space, into those situations where hope is eroding or we may feel hopeless now. And it begins with Jesus' first words, I assure you. He begins with words of assurance and certainty. In the Hebrew, it's just one word. I assure you is just one word. Any idea what it is? Amen. Have you ever heard that word before? For those of you kids who are sitting on the couch at home, you know what amen means. It means we can eat or it's time to go to bed or maybe best of all, church is over. Amen, amen means so be it. It's a way of saying yes, and we typically do it at the end of our prayers wherever they come. But the Hebrew word amen is that and even more. It's a deep, deep yes. It's a complete and total agreement. It's agreeing, it's endorsing, it's assuring that those will happen. Now Jesus himself was fond of saying amen, but he didn't say it at the end of his statements. Most often he said it at the beginning. Because for Jesus, that was even stronger. It implies not just a hope that he has, but firsthand knowledge because he's the one who makes the promises and he's the one who can deliver the results. I wanna make sure you caught that. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, believe me, this is true. Jesus is saying, I know this is true. 
and you can take it to the bank because I who promise it to you will bring it to fulfillment. I assure you that word amen is Jesus's deepest yes. It's Jesus's deepest yes. I was trying to explore maybe how I could give an illustration that might help us understand this. And I thought of this highly theological show I watch from time to time called Undercover Boss. Anyone seen this? If you've seen it, you know the premise of the show. You know that a high-powered CEO, some man or woman at the top of their career goes undercover in their own company to find out what's working and what's not working. And according to Undercover Boss, like the most impressive CEO of all time on their show is Stephen Klubeck. Uh, he's the CEO of Diamond Resorts International. Like when it comes to a big boss man, like this is the guy. 5,600 employees, 200 hotels in 28 countries, uh, seeing 600,000 guests a year. But what separates Klubeck isn't the size of his company, nor is it his generosity. He himself has given over $2 million out of his own pocket. It's not even the number of times he's been featured on Undercover Box. He's the only CEO that's been featured twice on the show. I believe what sets him apart is the motto of his company, where he just calls it the meaning of yes. The meaning of yes. No matter what the need is, the answer is always yes. Here's how he describes it. The meaning of yes means never saying no to a guest. It means to do anything a guest asks to make the guest happy. That's the meaning of yes. Make it right every time for every single guest. We don't have a second chance. This is their vacation. It's also my legacy. So when you're on a Diamond Resort International hotel property and Stephen Klubeck comes and says, yes, you can be certain it's going to happen. When he invited maintenance man Randy to his beach home and said, hey, I appreciate how hard you've worked. I noticed, I heard you talk about the weight of your mortgage, $150,000 in debt. You don't know that anymore. I'm taking care of it. That is his yes and amen. When he reveals to RK the bellboy, hey, I'm gonna pay for your college so that you can get a hospitality degree and I'm gonna put money aside for your daughter to go to college in a trust fund. RK can be assured that will happen. Why? Because he owns the company. When he tells Veronica that he's going to pay for her daughter's needed surgery, and he's going to overcome whatever obstacle you're having trouble getting there. Well, I'll give you a car to get to the appointments and the surgery. And you're working two or three jobs to, to make ends meet. Not anymore. I'm going to pay for your mortgage. When Stephen Klubeck says, I'm going to take care of that, you can be assured on his property that's going to happen. And he's just talking about a guest experience. That's his legacy. It's noble, but that's nothing compared to Jesus's legacy, the inheritance you and I have as children of God. When Jesus says, amen, so be it, I assure you, you can take it to the bank. I assure you, Jesus says, today. I assure you, today, See, that's significant as well because it's one thing to, to have a future hope, which is great that we have, but today qualifies it. Today is all about timing. It's when the words take effect. 
Every version of our modern scriptures puts a comma before the word today. Do you know why? Because it's spelling out. Jesus assures us that today, this day, this present moment, the here and now. Jesus is giving assurance that today this will come to pass. That's a big deal, friends. Jesus isn't just the God of the future. He's the God of the present moment who's given his Holy Spirit to us in whatever situation we find ourselves hopelessly in. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, talked about the importance of that word today. He just described it with the words, the present moment. The present. Listen to what he says. Humans live in time, but our God destines them for eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants us to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point in time which we call the present, today. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. God would therefore have us continually concerned either about eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on our eternal union with or our separation from himself or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, or giving thanks for the present pleasure. I assure you, today in the present moment, Jesus says. So how how are you doing today? How are we doing at being attuned to the present moment, giving those cares and concerns as justified as they are to God, this present moment in light of eternity? See, in that book, Lewis goes on to unmask that the enemy will employ two ploys to get us from attuning to God in the present moment and therefore having hope now and forever. The first thing the enemy does is get us consumed with the past gets our minds fixed on what happened yesterday, as if our life is defined by our best or our worst moments or our series of failures or successes. Here's the deal, friends. If you cannot get past your past, you will have no joy in the present or hope for the future. If the enemy can keep you fixed on your past and you can't get past it, you will have no joy in the present or in the future. God is the God of today and he will take wherever you are in this moment today. The second thing the enemy will do, it's really cunning, is fix your eyes on the future. As bad as the past is, it's fixed, it's, it's, it's there, but the future, all it is are fantasies and, and hopes and concerns It hasn't come to pass yet. But if the enemy can keep us consumed with our concerns for the future, we won't find redemption for our past or hope in our present. See, God has a place, has a time. It's here and now. And it's here and now that he can redeem our past and give us hope for the future if we're attuned to today. I assure you today, you will be with me, Jesus says. Now, this is the point in the passage where if you're like me, I keep reading to the end because I'm interested in going to paradise and where I'm supposed to go with, but let's stop there first. 
the importance of these words, you will be with me. You see, if you're like the criminal who fears that your past will haunt him forever, of course we want to know what the future holds. But Jesus offers something much more important. Jesus offers his presence in the present moment. I will be with you. And you will be with me. See, as important as the future is, and we'll share a few thoughts about that in a moment, but as important as that is, more important than the place is the person who makes the place great. More important than the place, the good future, is the person. It's the people who make the place great. Now, how many of you have ever been to Hawaii? Anyone here? Some and and some... Online, I'm sure as well. Well, for me, I did get to go for our 10th anniversary, and that's as close to paradise as I can imagine here on earth. We got to go to Kauai and stay on the beach, and it was beautiful, and we got to do a catamaran and and go around and see just the exquisite uh, creation, this island of Kauai. And then we got to go to Maui, and we got to go to the top of Haleakala. That's the volcano. I think we have a picture here. And see the stunning view as far as the eye could see. And then to cap it off, we got to go to the Maui Invitational and watch the Jayhawks win two basketball games. I mean, it was like heaven on earth. Now, where is your perfect place? When you imagine paradise, what do you think of? For you, it may not be the beach or Hawaii. It may be the slopes of Colorado. Where is your perfect place? What's your picture? You may even close your eyes. Put yourself there the most beautiful place you can imagine. What is it about that place that captures you so? What is it about that place that makes you feel so alive or have a deep sense of being home? What is it about that place that transcends you, not just from where you live, but it's a place where you belong? See, when Jesus says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise, whatever you conjured in your mind doesn't hold a candle to what we have to look forward to in God's good future. Heaven, we see foretaste of beauty, the best moment, the perfect day. That's just a glimmer of the hope we have forever. It's beautiful. And I don't have time to unpack what that may be like, but I would show you a couple resources. Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright or Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Unfortunately, preachers like me have done a much better job throughout Christian history of describing hell than we have heaven. You owe it to yourself to read this book on heaven because what God has in store for us is amazing. The scenery, the beauty, the relationships, no more tears or death or dying or pain. We will be with God and with others. But as great as that place is, more important than the place is the person, is the people who make the place great. I mean, who wants to be in paradise by themselves? I sure don't. When we're in paradise, we're with God and we're with others, that's what we have to look forward to. When I think about the trip to Hawaii, I think about this picture. I think of being with my wife 
And even this moment just scratches the surface of the joy and beauty and depth of relationship that we have to look forward to. Because more important than the place is the person, Jesus, and the people who make that place great. And our eternal hope as sons and daughters of God is we have a good future because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And we have assurance of that because of this moment of what's happening in the text of what Jesus did on the cross. Because Jesus stepped into the hopelessness of the world, all the lostness, all the darkness, all the sin, and all hell was unleashed upon him, and he took it. And he died, and he was raised from the dead, and because he was, all God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. And so no matter who we are or no matter where we've been and no matter what that moment in our past that haunts us that we don't think we can get past, Jesus gives the same word of hope to you and I that he gave to that criminal on the cross, I believe today. I assure you, I assure you, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. This passage Luke 23 is one of my favorite stories, passages, and images in all of the Bible, this picture that looks like this, where in the middle we have God who became flesh, Jesus, the sinless one, who willingly went to the cross, the one who didn't deserve it if anyone never deserved it, and yet he chose to do so, yes, for you and I, but also for the man on either side. And in that moment, these two criminals had a choice. And I want to read from the passage because this is their story. And because it was, I believe it gives hope to every one of our stories today. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. It's the wrong answer. But the other criminal, he protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man had done nothing to deserve forgiveness. He was a really bad sort of man. And yet he had the choice, and when faced with eternity, his life was turned upside down because he made a choice. Instead of looking at himself to get out of the situation or looking uh, at the things that caused him hopelessness, the fact that he was going to die then and there, he looked up his gaze and looked to God. You and I, wherever you're at, we can look from our circumstances and look up to God. The second thing the criminal did was he owned his mistakes. So many of us continue down paths that lead to our own struggles because we fail to look in the mirror and just acknowledge that we are in part complicit to some of the things that we've done. So we look to God, we own our mistakes, and then we put our faith in Jesus and what he did and what he's done and what he continues to do. And then we just hold out for hope. This criminal had only a fool's hope. 
He had only a Hail Mary sort of hope. All he had was a hope and a prayer. But in this moment, he finally was next to the person of whom he could pray. And I want to read a short excerpt from a book by Max Licato that makes me tear up almost every time I read it because of Jesus' love and acceptance of this one criminal. Friends, if Jesus can love and accept this criminal, he can accept you and I today as well. And we have reason to hope. It's from a little short story called The Tale of the Crucified Crook. If anyone was ever worthless, this one was. If any man ever deserved dying, this man probably did. If any fellow was ever a loser, this fellow was at the top of the list. Perhaps that's why Jesus chose him to show us what he thinks of the human race. Maybe this criminal had heard the Messiah speak. Maybe he'd seen him love the lowly. Maybe he had watched him dine with the punks, pickpockets, and pot mouse on the streets. Or maybe not. Maybe the only thing he knew about this Messiah was what he saw now, a beaten, slashed, nail-suspended preacher, his face crimson with blood, his bones peeking through torn flesh, his lungs gasping for air. Something, though, told him he had never been in better company. And somehow he realized that even though all he had was a prayer, he had finally met the one to whom he should pray. Any chance that you could put in a good word for me? It's a loose translation. Consider it done. Now, why did Jesus do that? What in the world did he have to gain by promising this desperado a place of honor at the banquet table? What in the world could this chiseling, quizzling ever offer in return? Nothing. And that's the point. Listen closely. Jesus' love does not depend on what we do for him. And certainly doesn't depend on anything we've done. In the eyes of the king, you have value simply because you are. I do. I smile because I know I don't deserve love like that. None of us do. When you get right down to it, any contribution that any of us make is pretty puny. All of us, even the purest of us, deserve heaven about as much as that crook did. All of us are signing on Jesus' credit card, not ours. And it makes me smile to think that there's a grinning ex-con walking the golden streets who knows more about grace than a thousand theologians. No one else would have given him a prayer. But in the end, that's all he had. And in the end, that's all it took. No wonder they call him the Savior. See, for that criminal, he uttered his last words, hey, remember me. And they ushered in the first words of his new life. We hope that today and through this series, you'll embark on that journey with Jesus wherever you are, however far away you perceive yourself to be, and you will hear words from your Savior like today, I assure you, I assure you, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise.
So I want to leave you with this. Go on this journey with us. Set aside every Sunday to be part of hearing these words, these last words that inspire hope in all of our situations. I'd also encourage you to tune in to the journey. You can go to the website. You can get our weekly update. That's just scripture readings. And right now we're in John uh, going through the last week of Jesus' life. This is a great way to connect with God through scripture and prayer. Go on that journey with us. And then also Wednesdays for prayer on Facebook Live, that soul care experience. Go on that journey with us because I believe wherever you are, whatever your situation Jesus wants to give you assurance of his love, of his care. He wants to bring hope wherever you feel most hopeless. Because Jesus died and was crucified and raised from the dead, his spirit is available here and now. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for your scriptures and thank you for the ways your words on the cross not just set a trajectory but gave us an invitation into your heart. Wherever we're at today and in this season, will you meet us individually and collectively speaking words of hope that we need to hear that come from the Father through your selfless sacrificial act by the power of your spirit that can change us personally and collectively from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Until we meet again, I pray that God will bless you and keep you, that he will make his face to shine upon you, that the Lord would be gracious to you and give you his peace. It's the name of Jesus that I say go. Have a great week.